0: Reluctance, nothing personal, word of the day for Wednesday, November 10th, 2021, is reluctance. Reluctance is a word that was used in a quote by Sandy Alderson yesterday. Sandy Alderson is right now in San Diego at the general manager's meetings. We've talked a little bit about what those are. That's when GMs and president of baseball operations, they get together. There's really no reason anymore to do GM meetings. It's a huge expense actually of the commissioner's office. But in any case, they all get together and they get suites. Have I ever told you, Coca, how the suites go? They're they're by seniority. No matter how long you've been in the game, they're actually by seniority how long you've been at your job. So when you move teams, you go back to zero. And when you've been with the team the longest, you get the first choice of the biggest suite. So there's GMs and suites and they talk and they're trying to figure out who to sign. There's media there, they have to meet the media every day. Not a lot gets done, especially now with collective bargaining so uncertain. And even in normal years, you're sort of setting the table for the rest of the off season. But Sandy Alderson met the media and obviously he was asked the number one question, which is what the hell's going on there in Flushing? And why are you at these meetings when you say you only wanna be running the business side and you're here running the baseball side? So Sandy Alderson, when he heads to these meetings, when we would send our president of baseball ops or GM to the meetings, we would send a PR person also to the meetings to help facilitate meeting with the media, to talk about different messaging, what to say, what we're doing with our payroll, what we want to say about who we're signing, who we're trading, do we want to say anything, where do we want to be misleading, all these different things we'll talk about. The Mets people certainly would have thought that Sandy's gonna get asked the question, hey, uh, are you hiring somebody? And by the way, why can't you even interview anybody? More people have said no to you than to me in high school. Like those are questions that are gonna be asked. So Sandy Alderson comes up with what has to be one of the great quotes of the year. If you're looking to be comfortable, The Mets are probably not the place to come. Admittedly, there's a reluctance, word of the day, alert, to come to New York, but it's not about Steve or the organization. It's a big stage, and some people would prefer to be elsewhere. Not included in his quote, reported, but I did hear that he then took out a boombox and started to play the song, New York, concrete jungle, that's what dreams are made of. Sandy, can I just give you a little hint of what you say when the media says what's happening? You say the following. Running the baseball operations of the New York Mets is one of the most prestigious jobs in Major League Baseball with the market that we have and the commitment by ownership to build and maintain a championship team and a championship organization. It is critical that we make the right hire. Admittedly, the hire from last year did not work out. The assistant GM who we promoted did not work out. But we have learned from the mistakes we've made during hiring and we fully expect to bring in someone who will not only thrive in this market, but will help bring to you, the fans, a championship working alongside the owner, Steve Cohn. Why isn't that an answer? Why? because the owner said to Sandy, you better make it very clear because we're getting embarrassed. And you better get out there, Sandy, and you better put on your big boy panties and make sure that everyone is clear as a bell that this had nothing to do with me. And that all the rumors from Samson about my Twitter, about how difficult I am to work with, how no one wants to work with me, you better make it crystal clear. So here's what I want you to say. I'm laughing. It can't be. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm laughing here in the first five minutes of the show. There's a reluctance to come to New York. So I'm a New Yorker. And I've watched the Yankees and the Mets and the Knicks and the Nets and the Giants and the Jets and the Cosmos and the Red Bull and the Rangers and the Islanders. The devils. Not one time has there been a reluctance by any executive to ever take a job in New York. Because if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York. We talk about this in the circles of presidents about hiring and about who we're talking to when we're sitting around a campfire having 17 cocktails, wondering what our owners are going to do next, and we'll talk about the pros and cons of where we live, our communities, our markets, our revenue. Not one time does anyone associated with New York say, man, we're struggling. We can't get anyone to work for us. I mean, because who wants to take the 2nd Avenue subway, the queue. Nobody wants to schlep to Flushing or to the Bronx or to the Garden, the world's greatest arena. But Pasha? What the hell is that? Pasha? I think it's Peshaw. Sandy just came up with the wrong plan. And then he started the quote, and this is the other thing I want you to come away with during this segment. If you're looking to be comfortable, the Mets are probably not the place to come. What he meant to say was, we demand a lot of our employees both on and off the field. Because that's what you deserve as fans and sponsors of the New York Mets. We want to make sure that every employee who works here understands that we expect championship caliber work off the field as well as on the field. And that we are going to work as hard as we can to the point of night sweats to deliver the championship that you so richly deserve. Now. How do you say those things when the reality is that your organization fired a GM for lascivious, prurient, salacious acts towards women, fired a GM for DUI, had a manager who was an absolute lech in Mickey Calloway, but it's all about comfort and championship pedigree. And reluctance, nothing personal, word of the day. So I know exactly what Sandy is doing. Obviously, it makes sense, right? You've got to find someone who will work for the Mets because everyone is reluctant to work for the Mets. And who wants to come to New York? I mean, why would you ever? Cost of living is so high. Taxes are high. There's not any sort of culture in New York. So I totally get that. But I assume what Sandy's doing, and Stevie, is that they are going on LinkedIn. And they're checking out people's LinkedIn bios and LinkedIn profiles. Because these days, small business owners, and large business owners like the Mets, are busier than ever. Spending time searching for the right candidates can feel like you're just taking time away from growing your business and winning more games. That's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. I remember when we were hiring people with the Marlins or back at Morgan Stanley. Nah, LinkedIn wasn't around. But with the Marlins, we'd check out LinkedIn profiles. Who's doing what, when, where, and to whom? Who's been investigated in a full, fair, and independent way and who hasn't? linkedin works and if you want to be a gm get yourself on linkedin if you want to find a gm create a free job post in minutes on linkedin jobs you're going to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over this can't be right 770 million people including lawyers in Washington, D.C., who were former assistant GMs in Washington for the Nationals, who are now rumored to be the leading candidate to be the GM of the New York Mets. You can focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. And then once you have a list of people, go through and the first question you should always ask is, are you reluctant to come to the city in which we operate? Do you know who the CEO is? Are you okay with him, her, or them? LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? That's $40 Job seekers, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Samson. That's linkedin.com slash Samson to post your job for free. And remember, if you're going to work for the Mets or anywhere else, terms and conditions apply. Wipe it and we're rolling. I'll count in 10, The Packers have $300,000 fewer than they had yesterday in their bank account. Except the NFL has good payment terms. They actually don't take three hundred grand. They don't make you wire it once you're fined. The Packers got fined for the violation of COVID protocols. The NFL did their investigation and just discovered that Packers players were violating protocols. Oh, my God. The NFL has a list of those who are not vaccinated but immunized and they know exactly what the protocols are so when you're watching carson wentz play and he takes his helmet off at the end of the game to run off the field and he puts his mask on that's not a violation of protocol and when you go on social media and see parties with players who are not vaccinated because they're on your list because they're only immunized you know exactly who's in violation of the protocols but the nfl said ooh we really better step up our Packers investigation because we're getting a lot of heat and we're going to be very reactive because we're the NFL and that's what we are is we're reactive and we got to make sure that everybody is okay with what we're doing. So we're going to find the Packers because we found some Halloween party video of Aaron Rodgers dressed as Aaron Rodgers who Shaleen Woodley confirmed was Aaron Rodgers because of the size of his feet. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out. You'll laugh your us off. She can identify her fiancé by the hair on his hand and the size of his feet. Because you know what big feet means? Big shoes. Three hundred grand for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. But Aaron Rodgers only got fined $14,600. Like People are wondering, why would he get fined so few dollars and the Packers so many? Well, a couple things. One, $300,000 to the Packers is Not a big fine. It won't even come up at the next shareholders meeting because the Packers knew they were going to be fined. This was prearranged with the NFL. Mark my words, they knew. Because the president of the Packers called up Raj and said, hey, Raj, what's happening? We can't really get on Aaron. I mean, we've struggled. It's his last year here, and he's grumpy and we don't wanna break up the band until we have to, and Yoko is really getting upset and getting in his ear. We're just gonna let it be. You're gonna fine us. What was the number again? It's gonna be 300, all right. How many times are you gonna do it? Once, all right, what's the second fine? You. You. I know you have to threaten draft picks and you have to threaten bigger fines, but do we have an agreement on what the second fine will be? Because Aaron's not gonna comply and we're not gonna say a word. We're gonna bury our head in the sand you have no idea how deep. A regular snorkel will not enable us to breathe. And you know you can only find Aaron 14 grand because that's under the collective bargain agreement. And he's fine. He knows. We told him. He's just going to take it from his per diem. Are we okay? Everything's good? <sighs> Do you ever read when people lose money like Michael Jordan or Charles Barkley are gambling or Phil, um, I was going to say Phil Spector. Why Phil Spector's name is in my mind, I don't know. Phil Mickelson are these big-time gamblers, and anytime they lose a big amount of money, there's always a tweet that does the math, which is, if... Michael Jordan were making $100,000 per year and had a net worth of $200,000. This equivalent bet when he was betting $5 million on the 18th hole would be for $4.75. And then you say to yourself, ooh, I would make a $4.75 bet. That's not a big deal anymore. So they did that with the Packers. I don't know why I was bringing that up, Coca, about the math. Oh, because the $300,000 fine? Is that why? I don't think that's why. Wow. What a Wednesday blunder by me. It was a good story and true about the gambling that everybody does that. Oh, because of Rodgers getting fined. 15K. Yes. Yes, Coca. So when Rodgers is told that he's only going to get 15K, which is already agreed upon, the reason players agree to that in their CBA, and you've heard me talk about this a little, which is, they really don't care. As a matter of fact, some players pay their fines in advance. They'll come up to me, I have many players come up to me for uniform violation fines, and just say, yeah, it's 500 bucks each time, I'm gonna wear my uniform this way the whole season, here's 50 grand, thanks so much. When you're making $15 million, and you wanna wear a uniform a certain way, or you wanna violate COVID protocols, you write the check and you move on. It's like the CODB, right? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever, have you ever been involved in something in your life and the expression is said to you or you say to someone else, hey man, that's the cost of doing business. So you know very well that you have to, let's say when you're traveling, you have to get to the airport early and you're schlepping a bunch of stuff and you know you have to pay an extra 50 bucks to check your bag. But the alternative is to either fly first class, which is way more than $50 extra, or to pack in a carry on, which means you have to decide how many pairs of skivvies you have to bring in advance and you may even have to do laundry in the sink. So you just say, you know what? It's the cost of traveling, it's the cost of doing business. You make those decisions every day in your life with things that you do. Aaron Rodgers did the same thing. How far would you go to defend your family? People have that query all the time, don't they? You know, like uh, Succession, if you're watching Succession, and that family, that dynamic, and all the infighting that goes on, but at the end of the day, they're a family, so do they defend each other? Do they go to war against each other? What do you do when you're caught in an uncompromising position? Do you stand by your significant other, the way Vanessa Bryant stood by Kobe as an example, where you're there during the press conference? If you're Anthony, I'm gonna send dick pics to underage people, Wiener, and you're his wife who's involved in the Hillary Clinton campaign, do you stand by his side? Do you file for divorce? What do you do? You have to come up with a plan and you have to execute it. You can either execute it with your significant other or without. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns, is under tremendous, tremendous pressure right now. Sources told Steve Cohn and me that it looks like Robert Sarver will not be asked to sell the team quite yet. And the reason is that people have moved on to the next scandal. And when you move on, that's when the pebble doesn't become the avalanche and then something has to be done but that whole article that came out of espn that we covered a couple days ago or a couple last week maybe i can't remember and the question was will robert sarver have to sell but the other thing going on in that family is what do you do if you're his wife penny his wife came up in the article because remember the bikini story where the owner put the phoenix sun's bikini on his wife and then sent a picture to people and said hey we should be selling this dot 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 (laughs) bikini but penny sarver decided not just to stick by her man but to double down and she did something yesterday that was discovered that is going to be a very large source of consternation for Robert Sarver, and for the NBA. A little hint to you, to the listeners and viewers of Nothing Personal. When you are in trouble at work or at home, because you have been accused of something, maybe plagiarism, maybe sexual misconduct, workplace harassment, maybe ineffective in terms of your job whatever the case may be when you are accused of something here's the first thing you do one shut up two get a lawyer three don't violate one ever four shut down all social media. Five, don't violate four. Penny Sarver, for whatever reason, said, not only am I going to stand by my man, I'm going to contact the accusers, the sources in the article, because I know who they are, because I know exactly what Robert did. I know exactly what kind of lascivious, sick bastard he is. And I'm standing by him because I'm good. I like the life. I don't want to break up the family. You take the good with the bad. I'm going full Juanita. That's our expression in sports, by the way, when wives stick by their husbands. It's called full Juanita for what Juanita Jordan did sticking by Michael until she literally could not do it any longer. But I'm talking she knew exactly the way he was, what he did, how he did it, why he did it. And she said, that is, wait for it, full circle, the CODB. It's the cost of doing business. You know what the athletes are doing, what the actors are doing. But Penny said, I've got a better idea. I'm gonna violate three out of the five rules, and I'm gonna send just a couple of few emails to some people and ask a couple questions. (laughs) This is Penny Sarver. Hello. I know a lot of bridges were burned between you and Robert, and you are very bitter. I wanna remind you that real lives are at stake here. Please put your hatred aside and realize the hurt you are causing by spreading lies and fabrications. Is your time in the spotlight that important? If something happens to one of my children, I will hold you, Andrew Watson, the former coach, personally responsible. Think about your own child for a second and imagine the tables turned. To another employee, Penny did another message. I am so terribly saddened that you would say such untrue things about my husband. Your interpretation of what happened is so far from the truth. You are crushing my family's lives. Thanks for that. Penny, are you done? Do you have any more thoughts? Because so far you're taking up about a quarter. You are such a liar. You're trying to destroy my husband with your lies. You already have destroyed my family and children. All the mothers out there are saying, hey, you can go after my husband. You can go after me. Don't you go after my children. I read the article. No one's going after Robert Sarver's children. They have nothing to do with what Robert Sarver did as owner of the Phoenix Suns. They were not involved in pantsing. Coca, I got a tweet from someone at David P. Sampson on Twitter who said it's not called pantsing, it's called de-pantsing when you go up to someone and rip down their drawers to show their undies. I'm pretty sure it's called pantsing, but if that's a correction that needs to be done, we'll make the correction because we'll make corrections. By the way, I have another correction for you. When we talked about the Portland Trailblazers yesterday, I said Jody Allen is Paul Allen's Wife, I was wrong. Paul Allen's widow. Paul Allen was the Microsoft guy who died young. Jody Allen is his sister. Thank you for that correction. I don't get everything right, and I'm willing to correct it. So I could could have gotten that wrong about Penny, but... Here's the, the thing about Penny. I want to get back to Penny. I got lost. Sorry, Coca. That was not right. The corrections were going to be the next thing after this segment, but I saw it, and I was thinking about a correction, and then I was going to correct what pantsing was versus deep pantsing and then I said if I'm already correcting, might as well do the second correction, but then I lost my train of thought with the pantsing and the deep pantsing which is Penny knew whether or not he pants, deep pants He knows exactly. She knows how he acts. She knows exactly whether or not and with whom he has had inappropriate contact. And she has chosen to go for Juanita. So when you are under fire as a family and you have PR people who meet with you, you have lawyers who meet with you, the NBA has started that independent investigation. Don't you think one of the first things that is said is, hey, don't contact any of the people that you purportedly harassed. It's like the first rule. Because you know what happens? You think you're intimidating them or you think they're gonna recant their stories. You're emboldening them. You are buttressing their thoughts. You are strengthening their resolve. You're making it worse, not better. When you get advised by people who know what they're doing, they're trying to help you because they wanna be hired by the next people who have a crisis if you get retained to handle a crisis and you suggest hey here's an idea contact the people and scare the crap out of them you know why you don't do that because the next people aren't gonna hire you because it's the worst plan ever is it really possible that penny wasn't told any of this stuff Or even worse, was Penny told this stuff and ignored it? Or even worse, did Penny do this without speaking to Robert? Or even worse, did Penny speak to Robert and he said, well, that's a fine idea, sweetheart. The NBA is gonna find out because they need to make sure that Robert was very clear to Penny not to do it. Then the NBA got on the phone and this was not the deputy commissioner, this was Adam Silver himself who called up Robert and said, hey, Rob, could you do me a favor? And could you tell Penny to shut up and dribble? Because it's not helping you, and we're trying to make it so you don't have to sell your team, and we understand that you're in a war with your limited partners, and we're always gonna choose you because we always wanna choose general partners and owners, controlling owners, but could you please zip it? When we come back, we're going to review the new Tom Hanks movie. And we are going to talk about, what are we going to talk about, Coca? I think we have to talk about Oakland. Something happened in Oakland yesterday with the Oakland A's that is very interesting. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. This is David Sampson. Thank you. Uh, We are now sort of uh, 10 days into November, not sort of, that's a verbal crutch. We're 10 days into November. It's a short month by a day, or a long month if you're comparing it to February. And we've got numbers to hit. So please rate us, review us. We're gonna be doing a mailbag episode later this month. To get a question into a mailbag episode, go on to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Give a five-star rating. Put a question in the review, and we may put it in the mailbag. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. I don't know why more people don't watch it on YouTube, because I wear a blazer every day. And I comb my hair. I shower. Ooh, Wilson is a little crooked. I have to take care of Wilson right now. Do we have time during the show to do that? Okay. Wilson. Wilson. Do you know where that's from, from Castaway? One of my favorite movies. Tom Hanks is in a new movie called Finch. And instead of talking to a volleyball, he talks to a robot who talks back to him named Caleb Landry Jones. It's sort of a society where something happened where there's no more ozone layer. So it's 150 degrees outside. So if you're ever outside, you burn through your hand. So therefore you have to wear a special... um, a special suit and Tom Hanks is I guess alone in the world like Matt Damon in The Martian and we see in this movie that Finch creates a robot named Jeff whose voice is Caleb Laundry Jones although I think it's Caleb Landry Jones not Laundry. The problem I had with Finch is that it's a poor man's castaway, and Robert Zemeckis even executive produced this Finch, which is an Apple TV Plus movie. If you have the ability to make a top five Tom Hanks list, Finch will not be on it. If you have the ability to choose between Castaway and Finch, it's not even close. Watch Castaway. If you have seen every Tom Hanks movie because you love him and no matter what he does, you will watch it, have fun watching Finch. Nothing personal pick of the day. Were you nervous that I wouldn't get the Jazz pick over the Hawks, right? Well, I'm I'm pretty hot in basketball right now. We're 147 and 131, back to 16 games over 500. I think we've won the last two picks this week, the Monday and Tuesday picks. Yes, the Monday football pick was the Bears covering. Tuesday basketball was the Jazz covering. We've got a game tonight. The Bucks play the Knicks. My two favorite teams in basketball playing each other again. Last time I chose the Bucs and they didn't cover, so this time I'm choosing the Bucs. Is it possible that I read this right, that even with all this COVID, are the Bucks getting two and a half points versus the Knicks tonight? At the Garden. It's a sucker bet. You got to take the Bucks. Oh, I'm getting three now. All right. Bucks plus three over Knicks. Book it. We'll review that tomorrow. Okay. What do you do when you are going to cut payroll? The first thing you do is you tell your GM our payroll was 120 million last year, and this year our payroll is going to be 80. So build your team accordingly. Have fun. Have fun storming the castle. Go to the GM meetings and start getting rid of people. Get our manager over to San Diego. Put all of our veterans on the market. We got to do it. So the Oakland A's have said everybody is available. And people are upset. The GM, David Forrest, who works for Billy Bean, had a quote at the GM meetings. He said, quote, this is the cycle for the A's. We have to listen and be open to whatever comes out of this. This is our lot in Oakland until it's not. We have to workshop that quote just a tad. And the reason we have to workshop that quote is we can never let our fans know about what our lot is because owners are rich and the Tampa Bay Rays win games every year. Why are those two things important? Because fans don't care if owners lose money and fans assume that all owners are billionaires and two... Tampa has a lower payroll than just about everyone in the game and they win more games than just about everyone in the game and they keep their window of winning open a long time. Therefore, teams have learned when they are going to tank and rebuild, they've learned that the best way to do it is to come right out and say, this is our plan, this is how long it's going to take, this is the reason we're doing it. I used to give the cycle argument when I was president of the Marlins. The cycle argument is the Marlins have cycles where we build the payroll as we build toward a winner. If we don't win during our window of opportunity, then we break it down, go back down the roller coaster, down to the bottom, start again, and then build up. That is the cycle. My job as president of the team is to make the upside last longer than the downside. The Oakland A's have had tremendous years on the upside. Won 97 games a couple years in a row, made the playoffs four times, didn't make it last year, but they have zero to be ashamed of. They haven't won a World Series, but they, they haven't won a pennant, but they have zero to be ashamed of. And so I would say to RGM, don't you dare apologize for what we're doing. And don't you make an excuse Just say what we're doing on direct, case, don't wait for the question, and then move on. But what the A's did instead is they gave a little utz to all of their fan base, reminding them that they don't have a new ballpark. How do I know about this as a strategy? Because I was one of the early adapters. When we were cutting payroll in two thousand, after the 2005 season, after the 2008 or nine season, after the 2012 season, it was the same story. The first two, we didn't have a new ballpark yet. And we would say, we don't have our own ballpark. We don't have the revenues that we need because once we have them, we will be in a better position to maintain a higher payroll. Doesn't mean we're gonna win more doesn't mean we're going to be more competitive. What it means is we will be able to maintain a higher payroll. When you can maintain a higher payroll, there still is churning of players. You have to explain this to your fans. There is no team. Even the Dodgers churn players. They didn't offer Clayton Kershaw a qualifying offer because they're not going to allocate $18.4 million to their erstwhile superstar certain first ballot Hall of Famer. Now, the Dodgers don't have to make very many decisions like that, but they do have to make some. All teams have that cycle. I could argue the Yankees are the one team that has won over 81 games for, God, what is it, 25 straight years, some crazy number. But they are an outlier. The Yankees, the Dodgers, outliers. Other teams have the ups and the downs. And it's okay to own it. What you don't say is, this is our lot in Oakland until it's not. Which part of that, if you're paying attention, am I most upset with? The until it's not. When we were building a new ballpark a decade ago, we still thought that new ballparks were the panacea that would lead to a complete turnaround in our revenue structure and our ability to maintain a higher payroll. What we've now seen is that new ballparks, especially in Miami, are not that panacea i don't want to use that word again but that's the right word it does not mean an automatic middle of the road payroll what it means is your way too low payroll is going to increase but you're still going to be relatively low versus the rest of the league so you can't promise that a new stadium will solve all of your problems So what you say is, this is our situation now, we had a great run, and now we're gonna retool for the next run. There is no reason in the world to say until it's not, because people are gonna remember And they're gonna criticize you when you open your new ballpark in Oakland, or open your new ballpark in Vegas, or open your new ballpark in Portland, and they're gonna say, all right, it's not your lot anymore. And you're going to say, ooh, I don't know that I can raise payroll where I thought I could because who knew I had to put that much money into the ballpark. There are so many things that can happen. Be careful, David. Meanwhile, the A's are going to trade a bunch of their good players, and that's perfectly okay. All right, next week we've got MLB Awards. Are you excited? Remember I said that MLB announced its gold glove during a, the Sunday night football game or the Monday night football game. I don't remember which and how annoying that was. Well, MLB starting COCA gave me the dates and I can't remember them. I want to say the 15th, 16th, 17th, and 18th of November, which is coming up uh, a week next week, actually. 15, 16th, 17th, 18th is a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Is that possible? Well, Wednesday's the 17th, so yes. And the awards get announced, you know, you get Rookie of the Year, and Manager of the Year, and Cy Young Award winner, MVP. And they announce now three finalists to every award. Every award. The night before each award is announced, I'll give you my prediction for that award. But I wanna mention a few things that I'd like you to look for. And I'd like you to think about what these awards mean and how they're given. Let's start with Rookie of the Year, which is one of my favorites because the Marlins had a bunch of Rookies of the Year, and we would politic to get our Rookies to win Rookie of the Year. We had Chris Coghlan. We had Hanley Ramirez. We had Jose Fernandez. I think we uh, had—was Dontrell Willis a Rookie of the Year? He may have been. I think I had three or four Rookies of the Year in my tenure, and it was really nice but Rookies of the Year are not indicative. There is no direct correlation between a Rookie of the Year and a successful career. So in terms of what you want for your fan base, Wilson did win in 03, thank you, Coca. So what you want for your fan base is MVPs and Cy Youngs. Secondarily, you want championships primarily. Managers of the Year and Rookies of the Year are sort of the third level. Like Don Mattingly, I'm so happy he won manager of the year last year in Miami, but did it mean anything for this coming season? No. For this last season? No. So the Tampa Bay Rays have two out of the three finalists for the American League Rookie of the Year in Randy Arazzarena and Wander Franco. And I was thinking how proud Tampa is that they continue to churn out these great players. And then I remembered that it's not churning out rookie of the year candidates that makes Tampa so successful. It's the fact that they run their team, right? They trade players before other teams would have, they're not emotionally attached to their players and these type of awards, they would look at negatively because it means that those players get paid more faster because when you win rookie of the year, you get to use that in arbitration. When you get to arbitration in two or three years after winning rookie of the year but I would still root for it because I craved attention so badly for our team and I wanted national attention for the Marlins so badly that I was willing to risk that these players would end up making more money later for the current day benefit of it. My favorite award is the Manager of the Year because of what happened to Joe Girardi in 2006 when he won Manager of the Year and he had already been fired. And wouldn't you know it, here we are again. The St. Louis Cardinals manager, Mike Schilt, you remember he got fired because of a philosophical difference? (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Well, all I know is that Mike Schilt is one of the three finalists for manager of the year. The good news is he has zero chance to win it, so there's a hint. I'm not choosing him to win, but boy, that would be pretty cool if he did, didn't it? When Cy Youngs get announced, focus on Max Scherzer, please. Max Scherzer's trying to win his fourth Cy Young. He pitched for two teams. He was even better for the Dodgers than he was for the Nationals. There's something about Max Scherzer that makes him continue to perform at an advanced age. I am totally rooting for him to win his Cy Young. And then the last one that we're going to focus on the day we get to it, it is the creme de la creme. It's the MVP. Does anyone think that Shohei Otani's not going to win? Well, guess what? Vladimir Guerrero was named the Hank Aaron award winner over Shohei Ohtani yesterday. That's not the MVP. The Hank Aaron, do they call it the Henry Aaron or the Hank Aaron? I don't know. The Henry Aaron or Hank Aaron most, it's not the most valuable player. It's for the best offensive player. And it is the Hank Aaron. Thank you. So Guerrero won it over Ohtani and Bryce Harper won it over Juan Soto. And those are the four real questions in the MVP race. Will Otani win the MVP over Guerrero or will Guerrero win it over Otani? And who's gonna get it, Soto or Harper? And what I found fascinating is that the Guerrero winning over Otani is not in any way indicative of who's gonna win the MVP because by definition, the Hank Aaron award is offensive only. So it doesn't take into account what else Otani does. So for those who think that with Guerrero winning, that means Otani's going to win the MVP, I wouldn't think it. With those thinking that Harper's going to win the MVP over Soto because he won the Hank Hank Aaron Award, I would think it. Although, wait to see. This year with the MVPs, I noticed something. Do you remember when I told you about the provisions that we would do in contracts? when we would sign free agents, and they would ask for what's called the standard bonus package, or the enhanced bonus package, which is money for being selected to the All-Star Game, elected by the fans to the All-Star Game, winning the Cy Young, winning the MVP, finishing in second place or third place, and then postseason awards package is winning the NLCS MVP or the World Series MVP. And I said, I would always rather give more money to a World Series or NLCS MVP, because by definition, that means we've made more money because we've made it to the World Series. If there's an NLCS MVP, the odds are you've won the NLCS, you're in the World Series. If you're a World Series MVP, the odds are you've won the World Series. When you win the World Series, that is you making more money in the current year and also in the years going forward because of what it does for your business, in theory. all six finalists for mvp three in the national league three in the american league not one of their teams made the playoffs not one would you rather have an mvp on your team or would you rather play in october owners get so enthralled with mvps they're so interested as a matter of fact in being able to publicize it the way I was when Stanton won the MVP for a non-playoff team, the Marlins, in 2017. I don't think Stanton won the Hank Aaron Award in 2017. Did he, Coca? Because Betts won the MVP in 18, Bellinger won it in 19, and I'm pretty sure that neither one of those, Betts or Bellinger, won the Hank Aaron Award that year. So maybe there is no correlation. But yet Stan in 17 did win the Hank Aaron and did win the MVP. I'm not going to tell you who I'm predicting Harper versus Soto. I'm just not doing it yet. But I am going to ask you, when you have bonuses for winning the MVP and you have to pay your players more, wouldn't you rather give more for World Series? I would. It's pretty simple why you do that, right? It's just business. Congratulations, Bryce.